Hello everybody, welcome to this episode of the Heart Podcast. My name is James Rudd, the Digital Media Editor here at Heart. Thank you so much for your lovely feedback on the last few episodes and thanks so much for also spreading the word. Uh, it helps us to reach new listeners. Today we're talking all about the Heart Team and we are talking to Professor Philip McCarthy from King's College Hospital in London. And Philip and colleagues have written an Education in Heart piece which is called Is it Time to Refresh the Heart Team? New Paradigms for Shared Decision Making. I learned lots from talking to Professor McCarthy and I hope you enjoy the show. Perhaps I can ask you, uh, Professor McCarthy, could you introduce yourself for the heart audience, who you are and where you work? Sure. So uh, my name is uh, Professor Bill McCarthy. I'm a professor of interventional cardiology at King's College London and I work as a consultant interventional cardiologist at King's College Hospital in um, South London. And Professor McCarthy, you've recently written an Education in Heart article, which is all about the heart team. And the article is called, Is it time to refresh the heart team? New paradigms for shared decision making. Maybe we can start off by having you tell us what you mean by a heart team, maybe for non-interventionalists, non-structural doctors who aren't familiar with this term. What is a heart team and, and how did the concept come about? Well, a heart team is a group of appropriate specialised individuals who share patient details and look at patient uh, cases together uh, to make appropriate decisions about management. Um, and in cardiology, this concept has lagged before certain other specialties like oncology. But certainly cardiology is now fairly close to the front of the pack in terms of specialties developing shared decision-making. Um, it evolved within cardiology really uh, from the syntax trial just after 2000, so in the early 2000s, because the syntax trial, if you remember, was a trial comparing multivessel uh, stenting with coronary artery bypass surgery, and the trial mandated a joint discussion between surgeons and interventionalists because you had to agree that patients were suitable for both before they could be entered into the syntax trial. So it was sort of forced upon us in a way. But it is fair to say that there were multidisciplinary meetings going on and evolving slowly around about that time anyway. But I look at the syntax trial as being a sort of marker in the sand as to when uh, these, these meetings started. Uh, and they evolved really from, from there. Um, but they have, have spread across different subspecialties within cardiology in the subsequent years. And I guess if we think about the origin of the heart team, as you say, it was originally aimed at questions around revascularization um, of patients with coronary artery disease. Yeah. Um, what were the main questions or what are the main questions that the CAD heart team, if you like, uh, consider um, in terms of how, how it works and, and what kind of people you need there to make um, you know, good decisions? Is it surgeons, interventionists? Is it, do you have imaging doctors? Yeah, so for each type of heart team, you need to think very carefully about the stakeholders. Uh, and, and I would put the patient as the most important stakeholder. And so every heart team should be built around the, the patient. And in terms of coronary revascularization, that would obviously involve uh, interventional cardiologists. Uh, it would involve coronary uh, artery um, heart surgeons, um, but it involves other very important people as well. It involves 
the nurses and the specialist nurses that are involved with the patients. It involves anaesthetists. Sometimes it involves care of the elderly specialists. Um, and, it, you know, all of these members of the team have important things to bring. But a functional heart team should also be able to recruit uh, other specialists to contribute to discussions for specific patients. So, for example, if a patient has a hematological problem and you're trying to decide whether they need dual antiplatelet therapy or whether they should have a bypass, then you need the hematologists involved. And that, of course, becomes a lot easier in the world of virtual heart teams because a specialist dial in for 10 minutes for the discussion on that particular patient. And in fact, at King's, we, we really do that an awful lot. We often have visiting specialists. So that, that has, has been one of these things that has been facilitated by the technology revolution imposed on us by the COVID pandemic <laughs> uh, and actually makes heart teams pretty good. We can get a liver specialist dialing in for a case, really get a good opinion on that case, and then they can dial out and get on with their day's work and we can get on with our, with our meetings. So I think that you have to assemble the appropriate stakeholders around the patient in each subspecialty. And, and going back to your question in coronary disease, the, the, the key question un underlying most discussions is surgery or PCI. That, that's in, in the coronary disease, surgery or PCI. And then secondary questions, how you do it, uh, what vessels need to be done, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's usually with each of these specialties a key, key core question underlying um, the, the MDM. And in, in coronary disease, it's that surgery versus stenting versus optimal medical therapy. And is there good evidence or any evidence that the, the heart team approach um, improves patient care? It's clearly, I imagine, difficult to do trials in this area, but is there any anecdotal evidence or retrospective evidence that the presence of a heart team improves things for the patient? Well, actually, there's a surprisingly little evidence. So heart team has become very fashionable. And that was one of the, the things that provoked me into writing uh, the article that I wrote. It, it, there is, heart, heart team management has become entrenched in guidelines. So lots and lots of guidelines have said, well, it should be up to the heart team. There should be a heart team involved. The heart team should say this. The heart team should say that. Yet there is very little randomized controlled data suggesting that heart team decision-making is better than individual heart team decision-making. We, we, we think that, that it is, mm. and, and I believe strongly that it is because I'm a strong advocate of the heart team. But it's always surprised me how the heart team decision-making process can easily get into very high-ranking guidelines from the ESC, the ACC, without an evidence base, because you wouldn't get other treatment modalities into those guidelines without a very robust evidence base. So there is a lack of an evidence base. And in my article, I draw attention to a few studies which have suggested that it may lead to better outcomes, but there is a remarkable lack of that kind of evidence. And I think that should be something that is, is on the table for us to discuss and acknowledge and maybe rectify in the coming years. And we'll certainly come on to some of the pros and the cons that you outline in your paper uh, in a little while. But can we talk about TAVI, um, another area of cardiology that, that's boomed over the last 10 years or so? What about the heart team in TAVI? What's, what's the function there of uh, this group of specialists and, and specialist nurses? Yeah, so TAVI again was one of these therapies which I think was done and introduced really very responsibly. And I don't just say that because I'm an advocate of TAVI, but I do think that it was introduced in a way 
um, that was rational and appropriate at the time. And the decision with TAVI patients when we started doing TAVI in 2007 was again threefold. Leave alone with medical therapy, do a TAVI or do surgery. And, and, and often with the TAVI MDM, it comes down to TAVI or surgery. The reason it was introduced was, I think, concern about the disruptive technology. TAVI was an amazing, wacky thing. People couldn't believe what we were doing. And there was also some political sensitivities around encroaching on other people's territories. So if you start to do work that is conventionally done by surgeons, then there are political sensitivities. We always used to say that the surgeons were the gatekeepers of aortic stenosis and, and would be fundamental to decision-making. I think that the, that balance has shifted slightly, but nevertheless, with the TAVI uh, heart team, it has always been fairly functional and surgeons have been absolutely key and, and, and critically important to the evolution of, of the TAVI heart team. So uh, it started in 2007, um, but I think has maybe slightly stagnated in recent years. Uh, and I, I think we'll probably come on to discuss how it's become more complex. But in the early days, it really was just a pretty basic decision. We have a patient, do we leave them alone? Do we do a TAVI? Or do we do a surgical aortic valve replacement? In what sense is it stagnated? What do you, what do you mean by that? I mean that, that there is much more to TAVI now than that, that underlying question. Because the evidence base for TAVI has grown massively. Mm. And along with that evidence base, an evidence base has evolved around the treatment of aortic valve disease, um, which has made our analysis of these patients much more sophisticated. And so the, the questions now are much more nuanced because you can get a surgically fit patient who may be very well suited to a TAVI according to a lot of the peripheral data around that patient. And so the, the discussions are not really about doing TAVI on surgical turndowns, but selecting patients for the best aortic valve intervention according to their clinical presentation, their, their um, clinical comorbidities, their anatomy, and what devices that we have at our disposal. Um, so so the, the decision has become much more complex. I think it's a good thing, um, but it's not a binary decision. And I, and I think that in some respects, one of the points of my article was that we need to move heart teams on away from binary decisions into a nuanced and informed discussion to tailor therapy for patients. And you just uh, mentioned a couple of minutes ago how the, the TAVI heart team has changed, well, let's call it the structural heart team, perhaps, because we have moved beyond the aortic valve now, haven't we? We have newer devices, mitroclips, et cetera, more complex patients. Can you talk a little bit about how the structural heart team has evolved over the last uh, 10 or 15 years? Yeah, so alongside TAVI, there have been uh, exciting developments in uh, structural intervention, as you say, and these have sort of been lumped together with TAVI, although quite often, they involve different kinds of specialists. For example, a left atrial appendage closure is often done by an electrophysiologist mm. in a patient that has a long history with the EP team. Um, and so structural intervention has sort of been lumped alongside TAVI, but doesn't necessarily sit all that comfortably with TAVI. So structural intervention has grown. We have paravalvular leak devices, and of course we have all the interventions on the mitral valve and, and now in, in recent 
months and years, the tricuspid valve. Mm. And so it's become a huge, uh, exciting arena of things that we could do to, to patients that we couldn't do 10 years ago. But the number of devices and the evidence base and the imaging that comes alongside these kind of procedures is extremely complex. And so um, this is in terms of the title of my article, you can't just put in these complex patients with these quite niche interventions into a TAVI MDM. We need to expand it. It needs to be refined and stratified with the appropriate people attending and the appropriate expertise at hand. And can we talk about some of the, the pros and cons of the of the heart team approach? You, we've, we've touched on a few of them, but uh, and you nicely list them in the article, but maybe you could highlight some of the, the main pros and then also the cons um, as you see it. Sure. I mean, the, the pros are, that I think, the good shared decision-making with the patient at the centre of that, that process, I feel, is the optimum way to practice medicine. It, it describes a healthy um, peer review process, a healthy approach to teamwork. And my personal view is that you get a better, more balanced decision when you have a number of stakeholders making that uh, decision, so long as the process of shared decision-making is correct and mm. appropriate. I make the point in the article that it's not new. You know, medicine practice in this way is not a new thing. You know, the, it, cardiology did not invent shared decision-making. Quite often, patients were invited to grand rounds where various experts would, would look at patients, and that was shared decision-making in a way. And so, you know, I feel quite passionately that, that modern medicine should be made uh, into a team game. It's a, a shared ambition to tailor the most appropriate therapy for our individual patients. And we have to move away from the uh, autocratic, uh, individualized way that, that some people perceive medicine in recent decades. Mm. I think that if shared decision-making is done well, I think you are much more likely to get a balanced decision. And quite often after a long and sometimes heated debate in a, in a heart team meeting, I feel that we really did improve that patient's decision and that you walk away and think, actually, then that's the right balanced outcome. I think we got that right. Even if you didn't get what you were, you were wanting or you initially, initially thought. However, uh, I think that heart teams um, are, are deficient in a number of, of ways. The first thing is they are very heterogeneous around the UK and around the world. No one has really sat down and, and drawn up a structure or a, a guideline as to what a heart team should look like. And, and thereafter, tried to get uniformity. So if you go to a heart team in, in France or in Germany or in the States, they're very, very different. They sometimes involve 30 people around in a conference room. They sometimes involve two people in the back of a cafe. Mm. So they're very, very different. And therefore, it makes it difficult to, to standardize the shared decision process. So that's the first thing. Bolted onto that, you need to be thinking about what is chorus because you can't have a heart team where sometimes there's no surgeons there because they're busy or there's no interventionist there. So there's just the non-interventional cardiologist and then everyone, every patient gets sent to surgery. Mm. You have to think about a core heart team. And I think we don't concentrate on that enough. There are other more nuanced things about a heart team. For example, quite often the loudest and most confident voices win the day. 
So you might have 20 people in a heart team discussion, but the big surgeon or the big interventionist at the beginning, always the ones who answer the questions, well, this is clearly surgical or this is, a, this is an easy intervention, or, all that sort of nonsense. And, and, and that is, um, is arrogant, and it also ignores the very good points that other free people in the background might like to add. There are extremely important people at heart teams that really improve patient care. And, and in that category, I put the clinical nurse specialist who has often sat down with patients, sat down with the family, understood what their expectations are, understood their needs and their home circumstances that, that, that people don't appreciate when they just look at an angiogram. So loud voices went through. And I think then the, the, the last point I'd like to draw to your attention is the fact that quite often, in a heart team meeting, you're making extremely important decisions about a patient that you've never seen. Yeah. And there is something that's quite unhippocratic about that for me. You know, we sit there and we get rather blase and say, oh, yeah, surgery. Yeah. You're saying that that patient will have a major operation and you've never seen them. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's necessarily bad, but I do think that we need to have an appreciation that. Um, making decisions about patients we've never seen is not necessarily a good way to practice medicine. And it was that concern that led me to set up our patient-attended heart team here at Kicked, where we bring the patient to the heart team. And we have an anaesthetist, a surgeon, an interventional colleague in the clinic room, all sitting around with the, with the CT and the, the echo on the on this computer screen. And we have our heart team discussion with the patient. And that allows us to get around that problem um, to a certain extent. Now, you can't do that with every patient because there's so many patients we discuss. But if you have the option of that kind of shared clinic, the heart team clinic where the patient attends, then you can single out patients where you, you initially discuss them in their absence and say, you know what, we need to see this patient to make a good decision. And that circles around to what I was saying earlier on in that the patient must be central to all of this, because at the end of the day, it's, it's the patient that's going to undergo the procedure that you're talking about. And what's been the feedback, um, I guess, anecdotally from patients that have come along to the to the meet us? I imagine some people say, just just do what you think is best, doc, you know, you carry on, but others would like to be far more involved and, and you've now given them the opportunity to do that. Yeah, I think people vary. And I, and I think that as doctors, we need to we need to respond to that and embrace that because all people are different. And, and if someone says, I'm happy to go with what you, you you do, then you make sure you keep them informed and you do your best. But if people do want that extra level of granularity, mm. then it's actually quite exciting to take them through that process. And, mm. and I always enjoy those meetings where they, they, they've done a bit of reading and they want to know what the CT looks like. and They want to know why you've chosen surgery rather than TAVI. And I think that that makes me feel much more comfortable because then whatever the outcome of that process, you do feel that you've discharged your your decision-making to the patient. And I think the feedback is nearly always positive. Patients say, well, I'm really, I'm really glad that you, you took me through all of the nuances of your decision-making because now I understand why you've decided that I should have a tabby. Yeah. Um, so I think it protects us from, from medical legal challenge, but it also reflects better practice. Yeah, absolutely. And just to finish off, you mentioned in the article the the really amazing opportunities that uh, heart team meetings, whether they're coronary or TAVI or other valvular structural types of meeting, are useful for training of uh, of registrars and juniors coming through. Uh, can you talk about that and maybe how you've implemented that at King's? Yeah, so so I think that that 
uh, it is a fantastic training opportunity, but it needs to be a facilitated opportunity. And I think it is one area where on the whole, the team's meetings have improved part team practice, but they've made training more difficult because in an open room where you're sitting around, you could stop and say, you know, do the students at the back understand this? Do you, do you know what we're talking about? Which we often did. But on a Teams meeting, you can't do that. And of course, the, the students and other people can't, don't, won't necessarily have access to Teams meetings. I know that in some centres, what you can set up with Teams and Zoom-type platforms is a separate room, which is a facilitated room of, of observership. Yeah. So you can have a busy heart team meeting going on with, say, 20 participants, but then you could have eight students as attendees, you know, perhaps with, without sort of full admitting rights, if you like, in terms of being able to speak and ask questions. But you would then have a facilitator within that chat room, if you like. So you could have eight students and a facilitator, which, and their talk could be masked from the rest of the heart team. So the teacher could take the student through and say, well, this is an interesting case. What they're discussing now is this and this, and, and they're going to have a debate about what the best thing to do is, so that you can have that sort of teaching discussion, but the rest of the heart team doesn't hear it. So there's lots of innovation that can be done. But, but I mean, we, we see some fantastic cases. I mean, the, the, the cases that come through the heart team are just fascinating. And we learn, I learn every heart team. Mm. Uh, so why wouldn't students and registrars learn it's a brilliant learning opportunity but I, again i i would accept a criticism that we haven't uh, we haven't really um, exploited that teaching opportunity enough um, and i think there's a lot of work to do there any final closing thoughts prof that you'd like to share with the audience about heart teams and how they may evolve in the future well i, I would like to just mention that there is currently a very uh, um a good and detailed process going on between the societies. It's a joint venture chaired by Simon Ray between the British Cardiovascular Society, BESIS, the British, British Cardiovascular Intervention Society, the SCTS, the Society of Cardiovascular Surgeons, and also the British Heart Valve Society, drawing up modern day guidance on heart teams. And we have stratified guidance into coronary heart teams, valvular heart teams, endocarditis heart teams, but there's also a general comment about heart teams, which um, at our meetings, drawing up these guidelines, we have referred to, to my article and others. And I hope that some of the, uh, the ethos from my slightly provocative article build into these new guidelines, they will be published in the next few weeks. And, and they're quite up to date. And I would draw people's attention to those. And I think they are a force for the good, but they, it must be recognised that, that the heart team is a very iterative and changing thing. And we must change the heart team with the times. We must be agile. And as new ways of practice come in and new devices, new techniques, we need to change the heart team. We can't keep the heart team just as some old-fashioned stagnant thing. The heart team needs to change with the times. Brilliant. Well, that's a lovely note to finish on. Thank you very much indeed for your time today and for uh, really illuminating this whole area that I think, um, is, as you say, is really moving with the times in terms of the technology that we've now had over covid uh, the remote heart team is really fantastic to to get your insights so thank you very much indeed thank you very much for inviting me